0: And hello, hi, Bolton. How are you doing? Welcome everyone to our mini episode for Catch me if you can. Yeah, so well, we uh this one took a long time to get through <laughs> because well, first of all because we were having issues with new software and stuff, which mm-hmm. is always an issue, but it also was just so much information like i I did not know
1: that. None of it was true. I had no freaking idea at all. Yeah, me neither. When I, because I didn't read the new book, Logan's book, until after I like watched it the first time for this. So I'd like taken all these notes on the movie. And at the end of the movie, I was feeling like, wow, it's such a crazy story. Frank is such a character. And then I read Logan's book and I was like, what the?
0: (laughs) And I actually, same, I would not have read that. I would have just gone by what Frank said in his book. Mm-hmm. And I've actually seen like other I sometimes I'll listen to other podcasts mm-hmm. when I'm researching and I found a lot of them and they were talking about this. And granted, they were made before 2020 when that book was published. But it was like everybody believed that that happened. Right. And I just just so happened to see the link on Wikipedia sourcing that book. So I clicked the book and started looking at it. And I was like, wait. And then I started getting into the newspapers because I was like, is this true? And it is. There's a bunch of stuff. right? So getting into the fun facts, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about is how the heck did this all start? Because mm-hmm. obviously we know now at this point, everything in the movie is not true. It's still a great movie. It's still a great story, but it's, it's fiction. Right. So like, how did this grandiose lie begin? So my fun fact is an elongated fun fact that's just kind of explaining how he started, where this started, Mm -hmm. and then the first, it goes up into the first time he was really questioned and how he reacted to that. So, without any further ado, when did all this lying start? From what we understand, it was around 1976 in the Houston, Texas area. Now, keep in mind, there's no newspaper or media anything about Frank during 1975 to 1976, and that's going to kind of be important. But the first actual speaking event he did was for the Chamber of Commerce of a small little town called Dickinson, Texas, and that was on January 29th, 1977. He was 28 years old, and he was actually married at that time as well. And before he did this speaking event, he did an interview for A newspaper called the Galveston Daily News, which is a larger city next to this town. You might be familiar with Galveston because that is where Robert Durst beheaded that guy and threw his body into the sea. But this is where it was in that area where he was doing this. And so it was just a regular speaking event where people were just going to come and listen to his stories. And this was the first time that he started bringing up all these ideas that he pretended to be a pilot He pretended to be the doctor and the lawyer. And in this newspaper article that he was interviewed for, this was one of the rare times that he actually let himself be interviewed by a reporter. And after that, you could tell, like, if you look at his whole history, he was much more lax Mm -hmm. in being allowed to be interviewed and letting people ask him questions. And he said essentially everything that he said throughout his life, mainly about those three things, plus the idea that he pretended to be a professor. And the Porter was a guy named Sussman, and he said, I was a little suspicious. It just seemed so over the top, but I didn't have a reason. I He was easy to believe. I believed him. Mm-hmm. And so he does this little speaking event, and they love him. <sighs> and immediately they rebook him, and then they also start like putting it out there to other places around the area in this Southeast Texas area that Frank Abagnale is really good. Mm -hmm. And so he starts doing more speaking events in that area. And what he did is he put together what he calls a media kit. It was 16 pages long and it had all of this information in there. And it basically said his entire story. So then what happens is he ends up going on to, to tell the truth in the spring of 1977. And the other thing that happened, the way he got to be known to the point that he could go on to tell the truth, he still wasn't really speaking nationally. But what happened is Sussman's article on him from the Galveston paper, it got picked up by United Press International. So it was being published throughout the country. Hmm. The problem was they took out all of the information that indicated that Sussman was a little suspicious of him. They would edit down the article so that it would fit in the other newspapers and it didn't talk about how he did have some suspicion. So nobody ever saw that part of it. Uh, Got it. So he's going around Texas and then he ends up on To Tell the Truth. And from To Tell the Truth, he gets picked up by the Today Show at the time. And he's talked about a little bit on the national news in that respect, but he still hasn't gone on Johnny Carson. But despite the fact that he has not gone on Johnny Carson, he does an interview with some students and a local newspaper guy in the city called Nederland, Texas, which is a Gulf Coast city. This is May 17th, 1977. And it's at this point, he's not only saying all this stuff that's in this press release that he's created for himself, he starts saying that MGM is working on a movie about his life. And he said that they're going to start filming this is on May 17, 1977. He's telling all these high school kids and this one local reporter they're going to start filming in about 6 weeks and that he has spent the last month with Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman wanted to be with him all the time so he could learn his mannerisms and learn about his life and he said that he was with Dustin Hoffman during this time while he was filming Marathon Man. But he kind of forgot the fact that movies are filmed usually pretty far ahead before it's released. Like, they got to do other shit to them. right? So, Marathon Man was actually filmed in the autumn of 1975. It took four months. It was a very tight schedule because they had to go from New York to Paris to Hollywood. So, there's no way that he would have been with Dustin Hoffman for a month during that time because they were going from place to place. Also, if you remember, there's no media reports about Frank Abagnale during 1975 and 76. The first thing that ever came up about him was this article by the Galveston Daily News just before he did that first speaking event. Mm -hmm. But nobody at the time questions this. They all think this is amazing. It wasn't until 1981 that someone finally decided to check with Dustin Hoffman's people because this movie was obviously never made. And this was also shortly after his book was published in 1980. And they were like, no, we don't know him. We've never talked to him and we've never talked about making a movie about him. So it was a complete lie. But no one even checked until three years later to see if that was true. Mm -hmm. So then shortly after this, in June of 1977, there is a huge, huge article about Frank in the Houston Chronicle. And it just so happens to be written by the guy, Stan Redding, who is the guy that helped Frank. He kind of was the ghostwriter for his book that he ultimately writes. And it's massive. It's about a huge color page. It's on the front, and it talks about all of his escapades. And it's after that, on April sixth of nineteen seventy eight, that Abagnale finally goes on the Tonight Show for the first time with Johnny Carson. Hmm. And he actually did a few stints on the Johnny Carson show, but it was his third on October fourth of nineteen seventy eight that he finally makes a mistake. His head is getting too big. And so he's on there for the third time, and he always has this press kit that he uses, but he added another story to this press kit that nobody had ever heard before. And this story was basically that he walked off with cash in a deposit box from a bank at an airport with nobody questioning him. So what he tells Johnny Carson in this story is that... He was posing as a security guard at an airport in Boston. It was Boston's Logan International Airport. And he said that he created a sign that said First City National Bank alternative deposit box. He told all the businesses going to the deposit box over there, hey, it's that one's out of order. Give it to me. I'm taking it into this alternative one, and then I'm going to take it to the bank. And so all these businesses were just putting cash in this box for him, and they did it all day. And they did it all day to the point that this box got so heavy, he couldn't actually move it by himself by the end of the day. So he's trying to move it. And two Massachusetts state troopers come over and see him moving this cash right next to this bank. And he says that he looked at him and goes, I can't move this. Can y'all help me? And they just helped him put it in his car and he drove off. (sighs)
1: So
0: obviously, this is a pretty big claim. And there happened to be a reporter from San Francisco. He worked for the San Francisco Chronicle, which we know from Zodiac, and his name was Stephen Hall. And he found it really, really suspicious that he was saying two Massachusetts state troopers just helped him put all this money in his car. So he started fact-checking this. And the thing that's crazy to me is Frank tells this story on October 4th. On October 6th, Stephen Hall publishes a front page article on the San Francisco Chronicle, and it debunks everything he says. First of all, there was no first national city bank anywhere. This was not a real bank, and there was not any type of bank like that at this airport. The only place where there would have been a nightly deposit box was a different bank at that airport, but this one did not exist. And he checked with the one other bank that had a slightly similar name, And it was called the First National Bank. So he calls them and they're like, yeah, we already heard this and we already checked into it. We don't have a bank over there. We have an associate bank, but it's not the same name. There was nothing taken from there. We didn't have any deposit box that wasn't working. And this did not happen. So the bank had already looked into it as well, which I'm surprised they wouldn't make some sort of statement saying, yeah, this didn't happen just so everybody knows Because if I was a business or something, I'd be like, holy shit, did I do something? I guess you'd know if you gave some random guy your money, but still. (laughs) yeah. Um, Frank reacts to this by saying, oh, no, no, they're just embarrassed. And we talked about this in the main episode. He would say this all the time. They don't want to admit that I actually did this, that I took this money because they're embarrassed. The problem with that is with this amount of money, it's required that you have to report it when it's taken from a bank institution. Mm -hmm. So this could not have happened. And then, like we've already said, he went on to debunk him pretending to be the doctor and the lawyer, and he also debunked him trying to pretend to be a university professor. We talked about how he claimed that he had a master's in sociology, and he showed that that didn't happen. He also showed that he never escaped from a federal prison in Georgia. So he publishes all of this two days after this stint on The Tonight Show, and it gives all of this detail and all of this information backing it up that he made all of these fact checks. Mm -hmm. And not only was it published in the San Francisco Chronicle, the San Francisco Examiner also published a smaller article telling the same thing, coming to the same conclusion. And it was featured on a local morning show, AM San Francisco, that talked about how we were all tricked by Frank Abagnale. So it starts to get around the San Francisco area that this is not real. And it gets enough attention that Frank leaves. He skips town. And he cancels his next few big events, and he actually loses a lot of money because of it. He doesn't he doesn't make money from them. And he just, like, leaves for a little bit. Nobody knows where he is. And eventually, he starts going over to places more in the Midwest, where this news hasn't reached there yet. He starts telling more stories over there, and then eventually he comes back to California once everything has died down. However... Johnny Carson was pissed that this happened, and he was mad particularly at the woman that allowed him to be on the show. And he did make a couple more appearances on The Tonight Show after that, but it was never with Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson was always gone. He came on again in 1979 with a guest host, George Carlin, and then he came on in 1980 with Joan Rivers being the guest host. But that was it. So this was the first time that he was actually questioned But Alan C. Logan's book really chops it up to technology wasn't fast enough to spread this across the country to show that it was completely fake. And that is how he got away with this for so long. So crazy. Yep. So that is my one long extended fun fact.
1: (laughs) What I found most entertaining is actually an article from the Louisiana Voice. And they talk a little bit about the background of how Frank has gotten away with Duping people for so long. And so one fun fact event I wanted to bring up, because Bolton and I met at Tulane University, Frank actually spoke to a crowd at Tulane in 1981. And that's where he went on and on about how he worked for the AG's office and was masquerading as a lawyer. The problem was during his presentation, he mispronounced the AG's name, which like, if you're not from Louisiana, and you go to Louisiana, and you try to pronounce Louisiana names, it is very, very difficult. So I'm not surprised that he messed up there. But it's just so infuriating that it took people who were from Louisiana to be like, look, if he really was in this office, he would have known his boss's name. But because he spoke at Tulane and it was a bunch of students, a bunch of people who aren't necessarily from Louisiana either, apparently the audience just ate it up like most of his audiences do. Yeah. And that and, is true because you will get a lot of shit if you say
0: certain things wrong there. <laughs> right. But Tulane's a private school. It's not like LSU that's public. So a lot of people go there from Louisiana. There's people from all over. Mm-hmm. And so they just... I also think it was probably a little bit of the excitement for it. They just brushed it aside. Yeah. Yeah. But that's something after the first couple times you say someone's name wrong, someone's going to tell you, hey, it's actually this. Right. For example, I had a professor and she called me Harris. She thought my first name was Harris. That's my last name for a semester. Then finally, one of my friends went up to her because I was too scared. And she was like, her first name's actually Bolton, which is weird.
1: However, there you go. She learned. Someone would have figured it out. Frank would have figured it out. Yeah. From the same Louisiana Voice article, they were covering the fact that Frank, still duping people in Louisiana, actually had an event in 2020 for the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry. It was a luncheon and he was paid a $20,000 fee. He was supposed to talk about his experience in the cybersecurity industry, but instead he just talked about his life as a con. He signed books. And once again, the audience kind of ate it up. I mean, I don't blame the audience because, like I said before, reading Alan C. Logan's book, like I thought Catch Me If You Can was true. And I was also amazed by his story. But it's just so infuriating that as recent as 2020, he's making $20,000 off a luncheon where he's just conning us about being a con. Yeah, But at this luncheon, if you remember from our first episode, we talked about Paula Parks. Paula Parks was the flight attendant who Frank was basically stalking her and would show up to airports that she was flying into or flying out of. He took advantage of her family, stole from them. She tried to tell her family, hey, this guy's creepy. He's not quite right. And they were like, he seems like such a great guy. And they would eventually regret that. But, anyways, so Paula Parks, she is still living in Louisiana in 2020 and sees that he is speaking at this business and industry luncheon and decides to go confront him. So she stands in line to get her book signed, like everybody else. And she introduces herself and says that she would like him to make the book out to her parents and say, I'm sorry, because he never apologized to them. Like, write
0: that in the book.
1: Right. And what does Frank do? He says he doesn't know who she is, doesn't remember any of this. He did write sorry in the book, but he just pretends like he doesn't remember her, which, like, obviously you would remember that person. I would punch him in the fucking face. I know. To me, it's. It like feels good that she confronted him, but then at the same time it's just so frustrating because I'm like, oh, he just wasted another afternoon on this guy. I mean, hopefully it felt good to her to go up to him and say, like, you're a fraud, but at the same time, I'm just like, it's not worth her time.
0: Or at least spit in his face. Either way, I would choose violence. (laughs) Like he would not, he would not walk out unscathed. I can't believe that. I mean, good for her for not doing that, because I would not be that big of a person.
1: Yeah. And then apparently she challenged him on why he never mentioned in any of his talks or in his book or anything that he was arrested in Baton Rouge for the crimes related to her family and stealing from them. And he said that he doesn't mention that because he works for the FBI, so he can't talk about it.
0: (laughs) He can't talk about being arrested because he works for the FBI? Is that because he's hiding that from the FBI? Because that's sketchy. (laughs) So the FBI should probably know. Or... Why would the FBI, why can't he talk about that?
1: Right. It makes no sense. And it's just another, like, how he names drops celebrities, like, oh, this celebrity said this about my story, or, oh, people are embarrassed, so they won't admit to it. The FBI is just another thing he can name drop is like, oh, I can't talk about my past that much because of the FBI. It's like, okay.
0: I'm surprised, too, that they haven't said something more formally. Like, that one guy we talked about that was like, I don't know him, and how's everyone getting my number? Apparently, (laughs) this guy is giving my number out saying that I can confirm or whatever that he worked here, but I don't know who that is.
1: Yeah. You would think that... I I mean, I know the FBI's busy, but, like, this is... (laughs) This guy's making so much money off of mainly the kicker part of his story. I was a pilot. I was a doctor. I was a lawyer. That's entertaining. But I feel like what really makes the movie is that then he goes on to be one of the good guys and he works in cybersecurity and all that. And he never did that. Doesn't that upset you? (laughs) I guess he never actually presented
0: himself and worked as a lawyer. I would say that if he actually did that, you know, and he didn't have a license, he could get in trouble for that. It would have to be in a specific state. It wouldn't be federal. But I guess it's sort of the same thing. It's He's telling a story saying he worked in some capacity with them, Mm -hmm. but he never did. Like, I could say that, I don't know, what's a a place? I could say I worked for McDonald's, but I never have. I don't
1: know. yeah. Those were my fun facts. Mainly, I was excited that Paula confronted him, but then also just like, you know, what did we expect to get from Frank in that encounter? Not a lot. Nothing. Paula Paula is a strong, independent
0: lady, and yeah. I commend her for keeping her cool through all this. And I'm glad she got to eventually tell her story. Yeah. So, go Paula. Okay, I have one last fact, and this one is not really related to the case itself. It's more related to the movie. So I found this a couple years ago, and I thought it was so fantastic. I've kept it ever since. But there is an actor that is in this movie, and when he was still a teenager, so it's a guy, I just gave that away. When this person was still a teenager, they wrote a letter to a director basically explaining why they should be the next big star that they put in a movie. And I don't know if you know who it is, Grace, but I'm going to see if you can guess. I hope you don't know because it's fantastic, but you probably, (laughs) Uh, you're going to figure it out. Anyway, I'm going to read this. Okay. Dear Mr. Hill, that's the director. Seeing that I have seen your fantastically entertaining and award-winning film, The Sting, starring Paul Newman and Robert Redford and enjoyed it very much. It is altogether fitting and proper that you should discover me, discovers in quotes. Now, right away, I know what you were thinking. Who is this kid? And I can understand your apprehensions. I'm a nobody. No one outside of Skyline High School has heard of me. My looks are not stunning. I'm not built like a Greek god. And I can't even grow a mustache. But I figure if people will pay to see certain films, they will pay to see me. Let's work out the details of my discovery. We can do it the way Lana Turner was discovered. Me sitting on a soda shop stool. You walk in, notice me, and bango. I'm a star. Bango, I particularly like. (laughs) Or maybe we can do it this way. I stumble into your office one day and beg for a job. To get rid of me, you give me a stand-in part in your next film. While shooting the film, the star breaks his leg in the dressing room, and because you are behind schedule already, you arbitrarily place me in his part, and bango, I'm a star. All of these plans are fine with me, or we could do it any way you would like. It makes no difference to me. But let's get one thing straight, Mr. Hill— I do not want to be some big-time Hollywood superstar with girls crawling all over me. Just a hometown American boy who has hit the big time, owns a Porsche, and calls Robert Redford Bob. Respectfully submitted, your pal, blank. Who do you think it is?
1: Well, I feel like it's not Leo. And if it's vaguely related to this movie, I'm guessing Christopher Walken. But I feel like he's too old to have written this letter, so I don't know. (laughs) It is Tom Hanks. I love forever.
0: (laughs) I love that. He wrote that when he was 18 to the director of The Sting. That's amazing. So I just wanted to end on a positive note, and there's nothing more positive than Tom Hanks. That is a very positive note. Alrighty, that's all we have for today, guys. So the next episode that we are going to be playing on our feed is actually going to be an episode of Watching Netflix Without You, where we were the guest hosts with heather who is the main host there Mm -hmm. and then after that we are going to keep going with our episodes with drew peterson untouchable so that is all for now happy halloween it's actually going to be november 1st but i hope you had a good halloween and you will hear from us soon bye guys thanks guys bye like what you hear in the show, then we would greatly appreciate it if you could help us spread the word about Crime Scenes, a true crime movie podcast by giving us a five-star rating and positive review on Apple Podcasts. We also love taking movie requests from our listeners. If you would like to make a request, you can do so by sending us a DM through any of our social media accounts. We are at Crime Scenes Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can also make a request on our website, CrimeScenesPodcast.com. And while you're on our website, you can also browse through our merch store and even show us some love and support by by clicking the link to our Buy Me a Coffee page and making a donation. Again, that's CrimeScenesPodcast.com. We love you guys and thank you for listening to Crime Scenes, a true crime movie podcast.